0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth. Have a really exciting postcard today from Tasmania. If you don't know where Tasmania is, that is an island uh, just south of Australia. It's part of Australia, and uh, my friends, the Jacksons, are—they're actually Aussies, but they're on vacation in Tasmania, or at least they were. And so, Graham, Jeannie, Rachel, Rebecca, Hannah, and Matthew. Thank you for thinking about me when you were on vacation in Tasmania. And that might be the the postcard from the farthest away that I've received so far. Beautiful. Whenever I think about Tasmania, I think about the Tasmanian devil on Bugs Bunny. So uh, thanks for that thought as well, I guess. Hey, we're in Matthew, or rather Mark. You'd think I'd know that by now. Uh, Mark chapter number 8. And last episode, we finished talking about uh, Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples could see clearly. They could see him as the Messiah, thou art the Christ. But immediately upon that declaration, Jesus began to clarify to them, but really, who is Messiah? Because he might not be whom you expect him to be. Remember, in the Jewish concept of the day, they were only seeing a conquering hero. They were only seeing the coming king. And certainly, Jesus will be all of that in the second coming. But first, he had to accomplish his most important mission, and that was the mission of Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which is lost. So here we are in Mark chapter 8, Verse number 30, where the Bible says he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Specifically, uh, he didn't want them trumpeting a message about him being the Messiah if people were going to be confused about that, if they were only looking for somebody that would throw off Roman oppression. He wanted them to understand the more important aspect of his ministry and that was that he would be the suffering servant, uh, something that they were not necessarily uh, totally in tune with yet, and took a while for them to fully comprehend, and really didn't even fully comprehend it until after the fact, after Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Look at verse number 31 for today. And he began to teach them, that I call this the great clarification, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So we know that as the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus began to teach them. Why? Because they didn't understand this. They needed for him to explain it to them. And no doubt, Jesus, as he taught them, Referenced the Old Testament passages that made this clear, passages like Isaiah chapter fifty-three, uh, the Lamb going to the slaughter, or Psalm twenty-two, or Psalm sixty-nine, or you know many of the other Old Testament allusions to the fact that He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is teaching them this, uh, helping them to understand the necessity of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. How do they respond? Because this is foreign to their thinking. This is not what they were anticipating Messiah to be. Matter of fact, uh, they were more in tune with, we want a king, we want a hero, we want power. And even still, after Jesus is teaching them about the necessity of suffering and of redemption uh, through the efficacy of the death of Christ and his resurrection, they still weren't getting it. Because after this, on several occasions, you find the disciples off in their little groups arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit on the right hand, who's going to sit on the left hand. They were just in love with the idea of Power and victory and status, and Jesus had to teach them on several occasions. No, no, it's a matter of humility and sacrifice and cross bearing, as we shall see. Look at verse number thirty-two, and he sp- and he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Uh, Peter was never at a loss for action. He was never at a loss for words, and it had been Peter who had made the declaration on the part of all the disciples, thou art the Christ, and that was a good thing. But here, Peter is putting his foot in his mouth uh, in place of all the disciples, and he begins to rebuke Jesus that this is craziness. You're talking about dying. You're talking about suffering. You're talking about rejection. This is craziness. Nobody would reject the Messiah. A Messiah doesn't have to suffer or die. You're you're misunderstanding this. I mean, think about the audacity of Peter to disagree with Jesus. And yet, Peter did this on several occasions. Uh, It was Peter that denied the Lord. All men will deny me. Not me, Peter said. Remember in Acts chapter 10, when... The vision came to Peter from God about eventually going up to witness to Cornelius, a Gentile. And the Lord sent him that vision of the animals on the, on the sheet and rise, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, you no longer have to abide by these kosher regulations. And Peter said, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I am not going to obey this heavenly vision. He disagreed with the Lord. We got to be careful sometimes that our standards aren't higher than God's. And Peter here is misunderstanding. And based upon that misunderstanding, he's willing even to rebuke Jesus. And watch how Jesus responds to this initial rebuke of Peter. Verse number 33 but when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So this is a public rebuke because the Bible says that Jesus looks at all the disciples and no doubt Peter is speaking on behalf of all the disciples. None of them are truly understanding this. And watch what Jesus says in verse number 33. He rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan. I've said uh, tongue-in-cheek at times that if Jesus is calling you Satan, you've said something wrong, and certainly Peter has said something wrong. Why? Peter has denied the need for uh, the death and the burial and resurrection. He has rebuked Jesus for suggesting this as being his mission, and Jesus is quick to respond to rebuke Peter and the others that are thinking this way get thee behind me, Satan, because nothing could be more satanic than to thwart the mission of the cross. Nothing could be more satanic than to offer a kingdom without redemption, to offer salvation without the, mediate, the mediatory work of Jesus. So indeed, this is a satanic notion, is it not? And Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And then here's what he says, for thou savorest not, you don't appreciate, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So Jesus speaks to the motivation for Peter rebuking Jesus or for saying that death and suffering and rejection were not part and parcel to Jesus' ministry. And what Jesus says is this is motivated by not an appreciation for God's priorities, but an appreciation for your own priorities. In other words, you want the kingdom. You want status. You want the goods. You want easy street. You want uh, validation. You don't want suffering. You don't want shame. You don't want, and yet God's, what God savers is the salvation of men. And he's willing to endure the cross for the joy that's set before him. But you're savoring the things that are men. You're driven by what you want. You're driven by what's in it for you, not driven by a selfless passion to save and redeem others. So what a statement and what a rebuke that Jesus gives to Peter and to the others. Look at verse number 34. We have just a little bit of time remaining, so we'll just touch on this. And what he had called the, the people unto him with his disciples also. So remember, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. He's in the villages round about. The declaration has been made. He is Messiah. The clarification has been made that Messiah now is not somebody whom you assume him to be. But rather, he's one that's on mission that will end up in rejection and suffering and death, but ultimately will culminate in the validation of all of who he is and all of what he has said. And that validation will be the resurrection. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter one, for instance, that God hath declared him, Jesus, to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So what was the resurrection? The resurrection was the exclamation point. On everything that Jesus had said. When Jesus said things like, I am the Son of God, making himself equal with God. When Jesus said things like, I have power to give life and uh, I have power to judge men. And when Jesus made the claims of deity as he did throughout his ministry, the resurrection was the exclamation point on the truth of all of that. It's the ultimate validator. That's why when people demanded of Jesus a sign, said, prove to us that you're the Messiah. Give us some wow sign that you're the Messiah. What did Jesus do rather? He said, there is one sign that will validate my ministry most authentically. And that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. That as Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days, three nights, so I shall be in the belly of the earth. In other words, the greatest sign of the validation of the authenticity of my ministry is the gospel culminating in, exclamated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, it makes no difference how many miracles he did. If Jesus had not arisen from the dead, it makes no difference how many claims to deity he had made or how many good things or great messages he had preached. It all would have been nothing. It would have been a question mark, not an exclamation point. So the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, is the crux of the gospel. On every, it, it is the linchpin on which everything else is, is based. And that's why he stresses it here. So based upon that new clarified mission of Messiah, Jesus now is gathering others together. And he's going to begin to teach them that as I am on this road, as I am on this pathway that will lead to misunderstanding, that will lead to rejection, that will lead to suffering, that will lead to death, so you must be willing because the servant is not greater than his Lord. And if you follow me and identify with me, then this could very well be a part of your experience as well. Are you willing? Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow me as well? And that's really the the teaching that Jesus is now offering to his disciples. It's a brand new way of looking at it. It's a clarified understanding of who Messiah is. So we're going to come back to verse number 34. We'll finish the chapter, Lord willing, next episode. Please be here for that because what Jesus is talking about in this next little section is the basis of what true discipleship is. It's the big rock picture of the way our lives ought to be oriented. And I hope you'll be here for that. That's all the time we have for today though. So we'll quit right there. Hope you'll join us next time. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.